Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest, and today I have a treat for you, interview with author Greg Larson. Greg is the author of the memoir Clubby, a minor league baseball memoir. The LA Times calls it an emotional backstage look at life in the major leagues. Library Journal calls it a well-written, realistic, and necessary addition to current baseball literature. It's got a ton of good reviews on Amazon, a ton of good reviews from various media outlets, and I can't recommend the book highly enough. Again, it's called Clubby, and Greg has a great website for the book called clubbybook.com, C-L-U-B-B-I-E-book.com. In this interview, we spend the vast majority of our time talking about book promotion, which is one of the underlooked aspects of writing and publishing a book, right? It's not enough to just write the book, you want people to read it. So Greg just gives us a master class in all aspects of book promotion. And I think for anybody who is working on their book and is close to the finish line, this interview is going to be extraordinarily helpful. Extraordinarily helpful. Enjoy. Greg, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, let's start with book promotion. And maybe we can start with your website. The website is fantastic. It. Let me make sure I have the the right address to send everybody to. It's clubbybook.com. So that's C-L-U-B-B-I-E book.com. Yes, sir. And you talk about putting the site together and your thoughts with book promotion. Yeah, as far as putting the site together, I'd actually asked a lot of authors about their advice on creating a website. A lot of people say, oh, it's not necessary. Hire somebody else to do that. I have just enough experience with say web design or SEO marketing, all that kind of stuff to be, to be dangerous enough. And if you hear any sort of clacking in the background, I have a teeny little five month old puppy named penguin. So I can give her a little smack on the backside if I need to, but hopefully I don't have to do all that. But like, let's not do that. (laughs) Um, I rule with an iron fist. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as far as like book promotions go and creating the website, my only thought process with creating a website was for people who had a good time reading the book, I want to give them extra content to enjoy for free as much as possible. So that's the way it's designed. It's for you read the book and you show up and there's a bunch of like behind the scenes pictures and old videos from the years of being a clubhouse attendant in 2012, 2013. And as far as promos in general go, I mean, you know, I take every single opportunity that comes my way. I created my own podcast. I chop up into clips on my YouTube channel. My thought was, I need to create as much content as I possibly can around this book. And that's the only way people are going to find it. Otherwise, a lot of people just put a book out and they expect the world to just find it and make it great. Sorry, like it's not art. Art is not a pure meritocracy. It is meritocracy plus marketing. 100%. Well, you know, one of the best nonfiction books written in the past 30 years or so is Freakonomics. And I was listening to an interview with one of the co-authors, Stephen Levitt. And he was saying, because of Freakonomics, he gets sent books all the time to blurb. And he thought at first it was, there's, there was going to be a lot of mediocre books and not well-written books. And he's like, there are so many great books out there, and they're just undiscovered because there's so much material in the marketplace. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, there are millions of books published on Am- self-published on Amazon every single year. And what is it that separates a book that's that's never discovered that nobody reads in a book that a bunch of people read that enters the the canon or the zeitgeist. A lot of it is marketing and quality. It's a, 
I don't know. Nobody wants to hear that. When I was in school, I would have preferred not to hear that. My professors would have told me that that's not true. But uh, here we are. Yeah, there, there's a, I don't know how to best describe it. There's almost, to me at least, there's almost a video game aspect to marketing where it's like, can you get to the next level, the next level, the next level? So I don't find it unenjoyable. Uh, yeah, it is kind of fun. It's true. I do think about that sometimes where I start with, okay, what's the lowest level media outlet that I can get attention from? And maybe it's a local news station. Boom. I take that local KUT Austin, Austin's NPR station gives me some attention. And then I use that to leverage into a pitch to CBS sports radio. And I use that to leverage into a pitch to the LA times. And then it's just like, boom, 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 climbing up the ladder. And to be perfectly frank, not all of them directly correlate to book sales. I can usually see a jump whenever something new comes out, but what it does create is this perception of, of being everywhere. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Where it's, I have to think about it as a branding effort. It was a piece of art that I created in my book, Clubby. But once it became published, it went from being an artistic endeavor to a business. And that's how I had to think about it. So now I'm thinking about what's my brand strategy. And my brand strategy is make sure every person who enjoys baseball books finds out about my book. I love it. And so here's the million dollar question based on what you just said. What yeah. does correlate to book sales? What I found, P.S., when you said that, I thought you were going to say what the million dollar question is, what are the best tacos in Austin? Uh, but... Oh, shit. I forgot to ask you that. <laughs> so I, I always, as, as my regular listeners know, I always like to ask a fun question. And I, so Austin, Texas is one of my favorite cities. Um, yep. And you're based in Austin or live in Austin. Yep. And so I emailed you and said, I'm going to ask you, what's the best taco in <laughs> Austin? So no matter what I say, as far as the best tacos go, it's going to be fighting words, especially in Austin, Texas. My favorite spot, there's so, just like barbecue. There are so many amazing spots, but my favorite spot is a place called Las Troncas. It's a truck, East Cesar Chavez. It is, here's how you know it's a good taco truck is because midday, any weekday, you can see a bunch of blue collar working class Mexican dudes getting a bunch of tacos. Boom. That's the only evidence you need right there. I get carnitas and i get al pastor corn not flour lettuce uh, uh cilantro onions and their homemade salsa i will crush five of those no problem ladies and gentlemen that's a man who knows his tacos <laughs> <laughs> but your previous question what were you asking me what directly relates to book sales um what i have found especially in the last year has been doing podcasts has the most, the most concentrated book sales I've seen have been doing podcasts and oddly enough, radio shows, which I mm. never would have expected. It's one of those people expect that to be a dying medium. And maybe in some ways it is, but a lot of people still listen to the radio in their car. So for example, I was on um, the fan in Baltimore. My book takes place in Baltimore. So after I did that show, it's a you know 15 minute spot. The next day I saw my sales jump up. I don't know exact numbers. I can just see like the Amazon sales rank, but it jumped up several tens of thousands of spots on the Amazon sales rank, <clears throat> which shocked me because uh, everybody says radio is dead. As far as book promotions go, I don't think that's accurate. Podcasts are actually better because once this goes up on your website, it stays there. Radio is one and done unless I capture it somehow, which I try to do as well. That's another one. 
<laughs> I try to record as many radio interviews as I possibly can and then put it on my YouTube channel. This is all great stuff. What is it about radio shows that bump up sales, do you think? A part of it, there's still this perception that because there's a higher barrier of entry, there's still this perception that radio is a, I don't know, a more classic medium that has more um, prestige as opposed to podcasts. There's still this perception of anybody can do it. Therefore, being on a podcast doesn't hold the same social status. Like that's going to change and that is changing, but there is something about it. It's analogous to traditional publishing versus self-publishing. Self-publishing is going to dominate traditional publishing, but those old mores are hard to fight. Mm. Um, it, again, TV versus YouTube. It's all the same exact sort of change there. A lot of my readers are still stuck in some of the old um, mores of the past as far as media goes. And I'm going to use that to my advantage and get on the radio. And I don't know. It's not only old people. When I tell people that I was on CBS sports radio or ESPN radio or something like that, it's still, there's a little ding that says like, Oh, that's official. That's legit. Um, that that's my perception of it. At least he's bona fide. He was, right. he was on the radio. He's, he's real. Uh, right. so how do you, how do you get on radio programs? I send out pitchlet pitch emails, try to send them out every single day. Today, I sent out two pitch emails wow. okay. um, every weekday at the very least. Yep. Um, so what I started with is I start with local stations and try to work my way up from there, like I said. But what I'll start with is I, I try to frame my book as part of a larger discussion. I don't say I'm an author and you should promote my book. I, I say, here's what's going on in minor league baseball right now. There's a bunch of in income inequality issues in minor league baseball. There's contraction going on. And not only are those issues a microcosm of what's going on at the U.S. at, at large, but I'm the perfect person to talk about it because I wrote a book about minor league baseball that came out this summer. And I word that in a way that's, uh, I don't know, more nimble than that. But then I include a couple of status markers, like for reference, here's my interview that I did on you know, MLB Network, that kind of thing. And my success rate is, a, if I get a 12% success rate in a week, that's good for me. Uh, so like sending out media pitch emails, I expect a huge rate of failure. And I think that's what keeps a lot of authors from doing it in the first place. This is also helpful because, you know, we talked earlier about how marketing is an important component of, um, of the process. And I also think sometimes, we mentioned this off air as well, authors, we can be so internal that um, we, we don't pay attention to that. And it's like such a closed world that, you know, being able to share this information is just so helpful. Oh yeah. Um, where I didn't even know who to pitch in the first place. And most people don't. What I did was it, it, it seems so obvious after I thought of it, but it was such a, a revelation to me. I found an author who had published a book similar to me the year before. And mm -hmm. I just pitched every single media outlet that had covered his book. And then not only do That's I know smart. who's interested in my work, but then I can actually use him as a launching point of saying, Hey, I noticed that you covered Brad Belukshin last year. My book is very similar from the same publisher. Here's what it's about. That has been a godsend to me because a lot of authors don't even know who to reach out to. Greg, that is so smart. So the pitch email, 
the structure is something along the lines of, okay, here's what's, here's some things that are happening in baseball. Um, here's how my book is connected to that. Here are some other interviews or media hits that I've done. Is that right? You want me to read you a pitch word for it. word? Would that be helpful for anybody? That, that would be fantastic. Okay. Here's a pitch that I just gave to NPR using my local NPR as a launching point. I say, hi, person. I'm Greg Larson, and I recently published a book with University of Nebraska Press that helped bring light to income inequality issues in minor league baseball. Some baseball fans know the facts and figures around these problems. And then I, I give a couple of facts about minor league baseball. But most people don't know what that world looks like on the inside and how it is a perfect microcosm of economic issues in America. With the changes taking place this summer and ramp rampant income inequality across the country, I believe this story helps highlight issues that plague the US at large and would be a perfect fit for NPR programming. What do you think? And then I give them my cell phone number and then I have a Calendly link because so many journalists, journalists are so busy. Most of them are covering five plus beats. They have to put in 10 plus stories a week, quick turnaround time and having easy access to you is more important than even having a good story. So I give them my cell phone and I give them a Calendly link like I sent to you to schedule a time with me as soon as they want. <clears throat> and then I send them a link to a media kit where it's just a Google Drive folder that has pictures and has um, like blurb images that I created and a full PDF of the book. And then I say, also for reference, here's my recent interview in Austin's NPR station, KUT, best Greg Larson. That gives me a wow, 10 to 15% so success rate. That's so good. Okay, so 10 to 15% success rate. What percent yep. call you? What percent sign up via Calendly, Calendly, whatever it is? I've only just, like I'm tweaking this as I go. I've only mm -hmm. just started including my cell phone in the last week. Nobody okay. has reached out via cell phone directly. Before that, I was just saying, here are some times that I have available. And then people would just pick a time. And I realized, wait, that, that extra back and forth of, does this time still work? Or does that time still work? I was, my hypothesis is that that caused me to miss out on some opportunities. So I was like, how can I make this process as seamless for the other person as possible? Give them the book, give them the images, give them the easy time to know that they can contact me. That's, that's one of the most important things I can do when I'm sending a pitch. Right. Reduce friction. Yes. A hundred percent. So I think about it in terms of opening with personalization. Why am I contacting you? What have I seen of yours that I liked recently? Why is this issue important? How does my book fit into the conversation? Let's schedule a time. I love it. Okay. So to me, that raises the question, why then traditionally publish? Why not self-publish and keep more of the royalties? Oh yeah. That's a especially I've helped so many people self-publish their books as a ghostwriter and editor. Um, I wanted, it was a goal of mine and it was a hundred percent a, I was going to say it was a vanity thing, but I think that is a degradation of my actual goals. It was a dream of mine to always have a traditionally published book. And I finally mm -hmm. got an opportunity to do it. And there are benefits and there's downfalls to both traditional and self-publishing books. Um, I'm not going to make as much money from the traditionally published books, but I have more opportunities. I think a lot of these media outlets wouldn't be giving me the time of day if it weren't coming from a, the University of Nebraska Press is a small university press, but it has some clout in the baseball publishing world. Um, it was a hard decision. 
I'm not confident that my next book I will traditionally publish though. I will say that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with doing traditional radio versus podcast, right? It, it's just yes. sort of, it gives you that, that imprimatur of, okay, the University of Nebraska Press has signed off on this book. Um, now he, you know, he's legit, quote unquote. Yes, which will make it easier, I think, for me to do the next book self-publish because now I have this, this benchmark in the past. Yeah, and I, I mean, we don't need to go into all the benefits and, and so forth of self-publishing, but um, yeah, that makes sense. Let's see, I have a lot of different questions now. I, I love all of Hit this. Um, okay, let's talk cover. So obviously this is a podcast, but you have your book with a great cover design um, displayed behind you. Can you talk about the cover design and the process for that? Yes. Uh, the cover design process with my publisher, I don't think that I'm telling any secrets to say that it was an incredibly frustrating process. And I think they know that because I can, I don't know, when I have a vision for something, I try to hold to it as strongly as possible. It was a process... The first cover they sent me was a picture of an outfield wall and it as a baseball fan I know what baseball is like like I know what a major league baseball wall looks like this wall it had the number 300 on it now 300 feet for your listeners who aren't baseball fans 300 feet is the dimension that you might find on a little league field on a slow pitch softball field 300 feet is not a dimension that you would find on a major league baseball field so immediately or in minor league baseball field for that matter, immediately I was turned off from it. And I was like, this is a picture of a wall is the cover design. And again, I'm not telling you anything that I didn't already tell my publisher. And so they came back, I wanted them to, you know, the stars and space were a big theme in the book. Not as those themes don't resonate with readers as much as I thought they would, which is kind of disappointing to me. Like <laughs> nobody really cares about the space themes except for me. And uh, which the little artist in me, it hurts, but me as the marketer, it makes a lot of sense. It kind of confuses the reader where they're thinking, wait, this is baseball. What's the space have to do with it? And so the ripped cover is like revealing something deeper behind a baseball stadium. So I'll sorry, be perfect. Could you yep. just quickly describe the cover? Sure, of course. Podcast? Yep. So what we have on the top of the cover is on the top third, there is what looks like the Milky Way. And then on the bottom two thirds of the book, it's almost as though a, a sheet of paper has been ripped away to reveal that Milky Way in the top third. And then on that sheet of paper is a baseball field and the title and subtitle. <clears throat> That's roughly what the cover looks like. And I love it a lot more than the previous cover design, but it is frustrating to look at. I'll be perfectly frank. If I, if I were to do this process again, I would have had a cover design idea in my mind explicitly before this whole process started when I was doing copy edits even so that I could have communicated my vision more clearly rather than the cover design. That's all I'll say about that. Right, right. And, and I mean, I'm sure you know this everything I've learned about cover design is basically it has to look really good as a thumbnail on Amazon. Yes. Um, and your cover design is interesting, but it's probably, it's probably a little too, 
um, not clear enough to, to be recognizable. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah. And again, uh, this isn't anything that I haven't already told my publisher, but I don't want mm -hmm. to disparage my publisher either. Right. No, no. I, I, again, just uh, I think honesty is is always good. Um, okay. So you mentioned the artist side of it. Yeah. Um, and that the, so I just listened to a podcast you did this morning, reached out to you when we set this up. So I've, I, I have your book, but I haven't started reading it yet. Um, so were you saying that there's a one of the themes in the book has to do with the Milky Way and that it's not you don't feel it's connecting with readers is that correct that's mostly right like the the way I think about baseball is that people project a cosmic level of perfection on the game and mm. I think that that is part of what led me to be disillusioned with the game and there are a lot of space and astronomical metaphors throughout the book and I thought that was going to be a big deal. And I thought that that was something that would answer a lot of questions about in podcasts, all this kind of thing. And uh, nobody gives a shit about, about it except for me and my dad and maybe two readers. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it was a, a poor artistic choice. It just means that maybe that was one of my darlings that was way more important to me than it was to anybody else. Right. So how do you weigh that, right? Because we all have um, our darlings. We all have the the things that we're proud of that we came up with, whether it's a metaphor or a turn of phrase or theme, etc. How do you weigh, okay, this is what I think is going to work for the reader versus, no, this side of it is really fucking important to me and I don't care if it connects or not. Part of that, well, two things. One, I absolutely should have left that, that visual motif in there. Like it, that should stay in, I should not cut that out. But two, when it comes to the marketing side, say like writing the back cover copy, that's when you really find the value of having somebody who's going to give you critical feedback. Mm. You just, I mean, I'm sure you and your listeners know how valuable and rare it is to get honest, critical, artistic feedback. Uh, there's no other way to understand what's going to land with other people and what's not, unless you have good people around you who know their shit and can say, hold on, this doesn't make, leave it in the book, but don't highlight it in the back of her copy. Right, right. So the questions I like to ask for feedback are, what's working, what's not working, what's confusing? What are your go-to questions? My, I used to just ask people, what do you think? Terrible question, because then they would, they're like, oh, he just wants vapid Praise. positive reinforcement and that's yeah. good for nobody. What I have come to find is that I just ask people what can be improved because mm -hmm. then there's inlaid the assumption something can be improved, which is always the case. And two, that I realize something can be improved and I'm asking you to give me what's wrong with it, essentially. That has worked for me. I like your structure though, because then you at least soften the blow for yourself of saying like, hey, tell me some good stuff about it first. <laughs> Although, you know, we're we're creatives right so somebody yeah. 99 people could say positive things and one person could say negative thing and 99 percent of your focus is going to be on the one negative thing. that's right um okay so for i had a follow-up for feedback um ah, i can't remember it okay right. so um let's go back to the website for a minute sure what were the fundamentals of the website design for you? Uh, I mean, how granular do you want me to get? Like um, super? 
yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, so I chose Squarespace, which is a software that I'm somewhat familiar with. It's just like plug and play. And I was just, as far as design goes, I created a logo um, with somebody on Fiverr, I think. And, um, you know, that cost me a couple bucks, maybe 15 bucks. And then I used that cheap logo to take it to a more expensive designer than I paid like 300 bucks to have them make a more professional looking one. And so have I seen a direct ROI on say that logo design that's all over the website? Probably not. But again, it just creates this whole aesthetic. Like I can put that logo on my newsletter. I can put that logo on every piece of media that I create, the website, blogs. Um, I created a landing page. This has been incredibly useful. It's creating a landing page for my signed hardcover copies that people buy. Mm. Um, I have, I just assume that whoever's hitting that landing page doesn't know anything about the book. And I created, a, just tried to create a little story with visuals, what the book is about, a couple of reviews of it, and then a, a link to buy. And that has been helpful for me to sell some copies because those copies, I make way more money on people buying directly from me than I do somebody buying from Amazon. Right. Um, and then I have a blog that I just update every once in a while. There's like maybe six blogs on there, but oddly enough, one of my blogs that I wrote is the number one way that people come to my website, which I never would have expected. I mean, that was one lesson in there was that the things that I thought, <laughs> the things I thought would land or connect with people are definitely not the things that actually connect with people. Like on my, it's perfectly analogous on the website. It was a blog post about what the best baseball jersey numbers are. That's the number one way people find my website. And with the book, people are really interested in the love story of like me with my girlfriend and the downfall of our relationship during this baseball, which I thought was like this unnecessary distraction from the main story. But it's one of the things that people ask me about the most. It's, I don't know, it's been an important lesson in just like, throwing everything out there and letting the world tell you what they're most interested in. Right. Right. At a certain point, you have to just put it out there and, and react to what's actually happening, not what you think. Right. The uniform numbers that, that um, made me think of one of my favorite movies, uh, which is Everybody's, Everybody Wants Some by Richard Linklater. Oh, Linklater. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that? I've only seen the beginning of it. Yeah, it's it's a great, but it's you know it's about a college baseball team, so it's um, oh yeah, it's good stuff. Okay, um, speaking of signed copies on your website, do you know roughly what the breakdown is, um, eBooks versus print copies that you're selling? I don't. I won't know the eBook numbers for a couple of months. Um, hardcover copies is around fifteen hundred, um, but nice. as far as yeah, I'm happy with that. Uh, or at least I'm telling myself I'm happy with it. I, it's definitely not, I'm not happy with it. I'll be perfectly frank. My goal was 5,000, but we still have time. Uh, as far as ebook goes, uh, no idea so far. So you don't get to check the numbers directly that just goes to your publisher? Yeah, oddly enough. I can only see like the Amazon sales rank. Oh, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. I won't see those numbers until the first royalty check comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so website, and then you have a YouTube page that, that is dedicated to Clubby. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. The YouTube, the way I thought about the YouTube channel, first off, like I had a lot of 
um, hesitancy to even do a YouTube channel in the first place. I was like, or a podcast, a video podcast, as I was thinking of it, I thought, well, I don't have enough content around the book. I'm not going to have enough to say, nobody's going to be interested in this, like all of the standard, like self-defeating bullshit that I have before I start any creative endeavor. But what I found was I had a, a specific focus. I was like, as a clubhouse attendant, I learned a lot about baseball that most fans don't. Just obscure stuff like how to make a rosin bag, what pine tar smells like, all these little things. And I thought this YouTube channel is going to be dedicated to the most obscure baseball knowledge on the internet. Boom. I had a focus. And so each episode, I would just talk for maybe 15, 20 minutes about a specific thing. Like what's in an on-deck circle bag? Like why do some baseball players sniff their bats? And there's like specific reasons behind it because the baseball comes off of the bat so fast that it creates this burning sensation on the, on the bat where they can actually smell the wood burning. Uh, and I'll just go deeper into, it's like behind the scenes and more detail into stuff that's covered in the book. Uh, and what I found is that like, I don't have a ton of subscribers. There might be 30 subscribers. But what I've found is that that's a, it's another one of those things. Hey, penguin, what are you doing? Get out of there. She's not allowed in the bedroom and she just, the audacity. Um, <laughs> but what I found is like, it's another one of those like clout building things where people can see that I have a YouTube page and there's all these videos. Like, I don't know, there might be 50 videos up there and they might have a couple hundred views a piece. I don't think they're very high. But again, it's the perception and the ubiquity of like clubby is everywhere kind of feeling. That was the most, that has been the most valuable part of it. Mm, just it, it being one part of the, you know, getting the word out or, or what's the most valuable part of it? Yes. The, the fact that they exist, like the, the fact that the ecosystem, the yes, clubby ecosystem. That's a hundred percent it. Podcasts, the videos, blog posts anything like just get the word out there yes well, what, what was the date of publication april 1st of this year so let's say the month of april um yep. how many hours a day are you putting into all of this promoting the book uh, well it, it's slowed down some but like early the first month of april i mean i was treating it like a part-time job i would say it was between three and five hours a weekday in the month of April. Mm -hmm. And since then, I would say it's gone down to an hour to two hours every weekday. And now those one to two hours are either dedicated to doing an interview or sending pitch emails. That's the majority of it. And then on Fridays, uh, I'll usually schedule a bunch of videos for the next week on TikTok and YouTube. Love it. What was the most helpful thing you did to promote the book pre-publication? publishing i concentrated a lot of my efforts how to put it i think a lot of people sh a lot of people shoot their cannons too early when mm. it comes to pre-publication where it creates this perception of i'm going to start promoting my book well sometimes they just don't promote it at all but the people do promote it they start too early and then it goes on too long and publication date hasn't hit yet. And then by the time the book comes out, the people in their atmosphere, whether it's friends, family, people on their Facebook, social media, they're fatigued. They're like, this book didn't already come out. I've been hearing about it for three months now. Mm. The most helpful thing I did was concentrate. I tried to concentrate everything to one month ahead of publication just to, well, what did that look like specifically? I maxed out all of my LinkedIn connections every single day of the week 
on uh, the preceding months. And I focused mm -hmm. entirely on people who were in my target audience. So people who worked, I would go to every single minor league and major league baseball team, go to their employees list and just add everybody until I LinkedIn wouldn't let me add anymore. Boom. All of a sudden I have a social network completely filled with my potential readers on Facebook. I just, I had been apathetic about Facebook leading up to my book release for years, but I finally said, fuck it. Like I'm going to go and add in all the people from high school, all the people from college that I've just been ignoring on there. And then again, do the same thing, find people who looked like they were in my target audience. Like I, I went back through old rosters of the teams that I work for and added all of those guys. And then all of a sudden Facebook's algorithm was kicking out people to me who were in my target audience doing that. So now the people in my atmosphere were people who were interested in me specifically or were interested in the content. And then when I was doing podcasts and posting about it, it's going out to people who might be likely to read the book. That made a huge difference. So let's take Facebook. So sure. now you've, you've made these connections. Are you creating a group? Are you inviting people there? How often, let's say in the week, the seven days leading up to, to April 1st, how often are you posting about the book? How are you communicating it, et cetera? I didn't, I didn't create a specific group, but I was posting in other groups. I found a baseball mm. books group, for example, where I found Orioles groups. So for, I don't remember how many days leading up to the release, I had a countdown where I would create a meme of some kind that said, you know, seven days to release, six days to release and so forth. So people knew that there's some anticipation anticipation building, but I didn't start it so early that again, people got fatigued by it. And, and again, like, I, I just want to make an important point on that too. Like, please. Nobody is as, as an author, nobody is as familiar with your content as you are. Like, I think, oh, I'm, I'm posting about this too much. When people don't give a shit about something, they just ignore it. They really don't give a shit, but there is a certain aspect of momentum that is important leading up to a launch. But after a launch, it doesn't matter, dude, throw that shit out there and people will ignore what's not relevant to them. So let's talk after launch. So after April 1st, what, um, what were the two or three most helpful things you did to, to market the book? Sending out now I'm on a roughly 10 pitch emails a week pace. But at that point I was obsessively pitching media outlets, podcasts, everybody I possibly could, that was by far the most helpful and continues to be the most helpful. Uh, I don't know if I would change any part of that. I think I would do all of that exactly the same. And if anything, I would put even more time into sending pitch emails. Mm, because why? Because in a, to a certain extent, it is a numbers game to a certain extent, but I would have spent more time learning about that world. Like for me, a lot of the podcasts that I was on were sports specific, baseball specific podcasts. So like I said, I found an author who was, a, who published a similar book to me and I just tailed all of his media outlets. That was like an easy first step. If I were to do it differently, I would have done more research into that world and found uh, different podcasts that I could have been on outside of what he had done. Um, I did an easy, I did an easy first step, which is fantastic, but I would have done more research there. Did you reach out to that author, by the way? Oh yeah. We're friends. Like he, he blurred my book. We text and stuff like nice. we're, we're, uh, I always went into that relationship. Like 
I am only here to help him. And anytime I ask him for something, it's only after I've provided him 10x value. So like, I never went into it. Like, what can I get from this guy? It's like, what can we do for each other? And like, what do we have in common? That's the way I thought about it. Uh, and it's made all the difference in the world. Like we help each other as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And that's the flip side of being an author. You know, a lot of authors can be um, internally directed, but at the same time, it is such a solo endeavor that it's really nice to talk to other people who get it and understand it. And I've found 99 times out of 100 people are more than willing to share and talk and et cetera, et cetera. So it's really nice to have that community. For sure. Like I look forward to the day where somebody asks me to provide them a blurb, you know, like that, that'll right. be cool. It's um, coming, I'm sure. I hope so. That'd be cool. And the next, uh, in the next baseball publishing cycle, I hope. So that was my interview with Greg Larson. And was I right or was I right? Greg was just dropping gem after gem when it comes to marketing and promoting your book. Again, you can find Greg's book, Clubby, at the website clubbybook.com. So that's C-L-U-B-B-I-E-B-O-O-K.com, clubbybook.com. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. Have a great day.